When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. Manchester City's title defence is off to a winning start and things couldn't be looking rosier right now. The exciting new striker bagged a brace on his debut. The manager surprised everybody with a novel way of controlling the game and it was a perfect start for the club, aiming to be the first team in 13 years to make it three Premier League titles in a row. All it'll take now is a new left-back and for the window to close before Barcelona find a spare €100 million Euros down the back of the sofa and everybody is happy. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast where we'll reflect on that win at West Ham. We'll also be looking at the time City players and managers have sworn in public after Erling Haaland's interesting post-match interview. And what did you think of the third kit when you saw it in action? Love it or loathe it? Either way, we're going to take a look at some of the vile garments that City have donned in the past. With a game against Bournemouth to preview as well, we'd better get started. I'm David Mooney. With me for this show is City fan Chris Higginbottom. Hello there. And from statcity.co.uk, Adam Carter. Hello. So, uh, Adam, um, me and you, I, I, we must confess, me and you conspired before this show uh, to come up with the uh, the actual numbers for this. Um, there were 7,905 days between Alfie Haaland's final goal for City and Erling Haaland's first goals for City. Uh, that's roughly 21 years, 7 months and 23 days. In that time, uh, this is where you come in, City have played 1,133 matches. Only 26 of them have contained a player called Haaland. And uh, City have scored 2,100. 122 goals as well. So between Alfie's final goal and Erling's first, City played roughly 10 weeks, 20 hours and 31 minutes of football. Uh, when Alfie scored his final goal for City as well, Erling was only four months and 26 days old. How is that making you feel, Adam? Old. <laughs> <laughs> it did nothing but make me feel old when, because I remember both of them. Well, obviously last weekend's one, but certainly Alfie's time here as well. So yeah, as the numbers were just ticking up, it just made me realise the the years were ticking by as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, not a bad start for the new kid, was it, Chris? It wasn't all those numbers, and I had a panic attack just trying to keep up with it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as as starts go, yeah, not bad is uh, something you'll understand. Yeah, um, what did you make of him, Chris? Is uh, how much has he improved the team, and how much has the, the the kind of understanding improved? Do you think since the Community Shield? Well. In terms of the first question, or to try, um, how much to improve the team, it's a dimension that we've lacked, isn't it? Just that out and out, the person that confidently makes that run, as he's making the run, the pass is being conceived of and it just dovetails into something that you just, as it happens, you're like, this is going to be a goal. Yeah. I think uh, there's quite a few of us uh, putting the thoughts out there you know, what would Sterling have done in that situation? Would Jesus have, um, you know, contemplated the ball, done the done the maths that quickly, rounded to, to his comfortable side and just slotted it home in those two seconds? Or would they have taken a touch and then thought, right, what do I do now? Or, you know, taken that extra 
0.75 seconds to, to calculate the right thing to do. It was it was just clinical. It was so natural. And it looked natural for De Bruyne as well, who, let's be honest, was pretty rusty in a, what was well, the third, fourth preseason yeah. game. And yeah, it's all, it, it, it was clinical. Yeah, coming uh, together nicely. Yeah, it really, really was. And, you know, actually rubbing your hands together, didn't it? I'm just like, whoa. And the whole game <laughs> was just so controlled. All of my initial fears and worries about us inevitably losing at West Ham because of the nature of the game they gave us towards the end of the season. Last time out, we just, you know, spanked and sat on their way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Adam, when, when Harlem went through... You just knew he'd scored, didn't you? It's been a while since we've had that feeling with any player. I mean, even even Aguero in that situation. I mean, Aguero was good, but there were times when he'd go through and, and like he would try and round the goalkeeper or the goalkeeper would get a hand on it or something. Like I, I can't explain the peace that I felt when Haaland was one-on-one. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I'm a very pessimistic City fan, as, as you know, and long-time listeners all know. So I, even I didn't have any fear when he was one-on-one with the keeper that it was going to be anything other than a goal. And it's been years like you say since we've been able to uh, feel that and it, it was it was mad how quickly there was a a video on twitter posted on twitter of sterling and jesus in similar situations in the past for us and blazing it over and blazing it wide and then you've got harlan just coolly slotting it um so yeah I, it, it was such a surreal feeling when he went put through i was just like yep yeah, goal two nil job done everyone's happy even with the penalty and you know from our recent penalty stats that that's never been a given <laughs> in the last two three four years yeah that, so that'll, be, the penalty that'll be coaching out of him won't it <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> ruined our uh preconceived ideas of what was going to happen there didn't he so yeah. absolutely perfect start for us yeah. adam is it is it about having different options now rather than having a focal point at the top of the team it's just the fact that city mm. have the option of a center forward and they might they might even play harland as a false nine in future games but it's just about being able to do different things now isn't yeah it? and also you you allude to us being able to set up differently and we can we could we'll be able to go more direct now if we need to we'll also be able to bring him in and link the play deeper and then move on he tried to do that a few times against west ham i noticed but also we don't need to be perfect anymore when you've got a clinical finisher your game can be a seven or eight out of ten and he takes the one chance that you get to win a game one nil previously we we had to be ten out of ten to literally walk the ball into the net most times to get the result most times we are perfect and that's why we've won so many titles over recent years but now he's just taken that pressure off i feel in that if we if we only create one chance because we've had a poor game he'll take it anyway so yeah. there's another element and another string to our bow with Haaland up front. Yeah, and Chris, I'm I'm thinking it worked the other way as well. As much as as Haaland um, can complement City, um, you know, City can complement him. You saw you saw the way that De Bruyne just put just picked out hmm. that that pass and put him through. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the reasons he's come, isn't it? He's going to learn from us as much as we're going to benefit from his already pretty finely honed. Um, complement of, of skills and his natural ability. He's going to learn from the way we play, from the way Pep coaches him. It's it's a match made in heaven, really. And you know, there were already some grumblings about um, how kind of consummate we were in that game. And the media people are like, oh, it's just really sterile. Look at look at that. It's a slide rule pass and a and a perfect run and a really calm finish. Boring. You don't get that with Liverpool, do you? Where's all, where's all the jeopardy and the cut and thrust and the blood and guts and the oh, that was uh, a bit close, could have been either way. Well, sorry, uh, yeah, he's really good. So we're really tough. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, well, there I, is an XK Narby crying in that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you two must be glad that uh, you're on this week because um, it's Ooh. the first opportunity that I've had to do this. It's oh, no. a quiz oh, no. on City players that have had relatives also play for City. <laughs> There we have it. Um, He's <laughs> a friend of mine called Andy. He's lovely. Um, he, he actually works for a radio station called Cheese FM. <laughs> Is that his normal voice? No, no, no. That's his. Uh, that's his Would cheesy game show pass voice. The salt, <laughs> no, he doesn't feel like that normally. Um, but yes, you know how it works now. Six questions. You can pick uh, three each, one to six. Um, all about players that have had relatives also play for City. Uh, Chris, I'm going to let you go first. What do you want? Pick a number six. one to six. Number six. Okay. <laughs> Uh, who were the opposition when Yaya and Colo Torre became the only brothers to score for the same team in the same Premier League game? Oh, who do you think I am? Stat City. I'm supposed to be Premiership game. It is. West Brom. Close. Wolves. No. It's a 4 3 win. No. Nope, nope. Four three win in uh, two thousand ten eleven. Colo and Yaya. Nope. Sorry, no. <laughs> Adam. Pick a number one to five. Is left. Five. Number five. Which player won the only Premier League Manchester derby he appeared in for City roughly five years after his father also won the only Premier League Manchester derby he appeared in, he featured in for City. Casper Schmeichel. It is Casper Schmeichel. Would have got that. There we go. <laughs> well, you got one to four left to pick, Chris. Uh, what? No, I mean four. Number four. Okay, from which club did City buy both Mike and Nicky Sorby? Uh, Swindon Town. It was Swindon Town. There's the equaliser. Adam, can you go yes. back in front? Uh, number three. Number three. Which which left winger made his City debut in 1974, 13 years after his father, a wing half, played his final game for the club? Uh, not a clue. Pass. Can I have a go? Uh, you can, but there's no points, I'm afraid. Was it Barnes? <laughs> it was Barnes. Peter Barnes. Yeah, Peter yeah. Barnes. Ken Barnes, his father. Gizmo. No, no Gizmo. sorry. 1-1 one, one going into the final two. What, uh, what would you like, Chris? Um, what have we got left? Uh, number one and two. Uh, number one. Number Please. one. What was the surname of the twins Ron and Paul, who played for City together in the late 1970s? Ooh, is at that. Oh, he's got it. Ron and Paul Fortier, there we go. Adam, you need this to draw level. Mm. Question number two. How are the strikers, Leon and Aidy Mike, who played a handful of games for City in the 1990s and early 2000s, related to each other? Cousins. They are cousins. Yes. There we go. So we have a draw, a two-all draw. I have prepared for this. Oh, of course. We've got a tie-break situation. <laughs> okay. Um, we're going to have to. We're going to go in a situation where one of you has to pick true, one of you has to pick false. So somebody is going to have to win. Chris, you can't I, share you, the trophy. No, Chris, because <laughs> you went first. You're going to get the chance to uh, to pick. Okay. True or false? The only Mooney ever to have played for Manchester City, Felix Mooney, a striker who scored four goals in nine games in 1892 and 1893, is a relative of mine. True or false? I feel he would definitely have mentioned this, so I'm going to say false. Adam, that leaves you with true? Yeah, true. It's got to be true. I'm afraid it's false. Sadly, there is no evidence that he's a family member of mine. I'll find it. (laughs) Leave it with me, I'll find it. (laughs) So, uh, So there we go. Chris, you're the winner. Well done. Oh, what a feeling. Uh, can I just like to thank uh, <laughs> I've got a show to do. 
please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. So, Chris, well done. Um, let's get back to actually doing some of the analysis of the game. Uh, have a listen to this from uh, the West Ham manager, David Moyes. He was talking about how City caused them problems. He'd already said in his press conference that City were hard to play against and were different from the, the game last season. He was then asked if that was because of Haaland. This is what he said. I didn't say they were different because of Haaland. I said they were different because of where they played their, both their fullbacks today. Both the fullbacks played played nearly either side of Rodri, which caused us a bigger problem. They nearly outnumbered us in midfield. We couldn't get on the ball. And then when we brought our players in to try and cope with them, then they got the ball out to Foden or, or Grealish and got some wood. So, you know, over the years, they've always brought one fullback in and, and tucked in. So it was Sinchenko last year quite often. But the two of them played in there today and uh, made it really difficult to outnumber us. So tactically, they were, they were good. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. So Chris, what, what did you feel when you saw how Walker and Cancelo were, were making that three with Rodri in the middle? It looked a bit odd, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, when when you've got the ball, I mean, even when you've not got the ball, when it works, it, it looks great. It's congested, but it's congested to our advantage. I suppose the issue is the ball squirms out uh, and they managed to put a diagonal and put someone in, uh, you know, overlapping. But we seemed to contain them really, really well with it. And it was nice. Uh, I, suppose it's, I suppose it's kind of a free shot in terms of post-match interviews when you're saying, yeah, City were better than us. It's not like, you know, the board are going to go, what's he saying here? <laughs> Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not when he was United manager and he was saying, "Well, City did all these things that we need to do." It was like he's yeah, West Ham manager now. Yeah, that's where we want to be. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's nice for nice is a rubbish word, but it's good. It's refreshing and good to see um, a manager come out with that kind of uh, you know praising analysis of, of the way we play. Um, it's, yeah, and it's great to see it in action and for Pep to carry on innovating and throwing things into the mix that are unexpected is one of the reasons uh, we love him and one of the reasons he's so rightly hailed. Yeah, Adam Moyes thought it strangled the game. Um, yeah. Do you think we could see this a little bit more against low, blo- low blocks in that sense, in that, that it just makes City overload the, the game in the middle of the pitch? Yeah, so Pep tried this in his very first game for City against Sunderland at home in 2016. But then his tools were Clichy and Zabaleta. And no, I, I no, decided um, Fernando. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you're not teaching old dogs new tricks in that in that sense. So um, he didn't. He hasn't tried it again since until this weekend. That I've no. He has like I, I'm gutted because Moyes alluded to it there, and I had already spotted it. So I thought it was some kind of tactical genius that Pep has tried previously with just one wing back coming inside, whether it be Zinchenko or Walker, but never at the same time in a con- concentrated uh, effort. So the fact he did it this time and it's came off gives us that other dimension he'll try it more when when people are happy to allow us to have the ball or we don't let them not not have let us have the ball so i think it's another str- i keep saying this string to the boat it's a it's a revolutionary city change now that we've got these kind of plan a plan b plan c now where in previous we probably had plan a and a little bit of plan b so he's really got a lot of um you know, weapons in his armory now, and that just doesn't just go for people on the pitch. It goes for the positions that they can now take up on the pitch. So, I think we've got a lot more to throw at it this season than we maybe have had in previous years. And I think Walker as well. Just may I just cut in a little? Is that all right? Sorry, I was just thinking Walker. 
looks increasingly like every time you see him in midfield, he seems that little bit more confident in that position. And um, it's it's a combination of improving his positional awareness and his his first touch, but he kind of seems he seems to be aware of the limits that he does have. Do you know what I mean? He, he never he always plays within what he knows he can do. Never tries anything too fancy, but he's becoming, you know, dare I say it, slowly and surely. What I mean, Pep obviously wants eleven midfielders on the pitch, really. But he's he's slowly becoming a really, uh, you know, confident-looking, trustworthy midfielder. Yeah, I do wonder if, if though, like, had they been playing Liverpool and not West Ham, yeah, we might have felt a bit differently about that. But you, you know well, what I mean? Yeah, playing within his limits, I don't think he'd be in there as much because yeah. of that. Guardiola went with Gundogan over Bernardo for this game, leading some to uh, worry a little bit about the the stories that he's off to Barcelona. Uh, then Tuesday happened. Here's the Manchester Evening News' Chief City correspondent, Simon Bajkowski, talking about basically everything that happened on Tuesday. I'll paint a picture for you of how Tuesday was. I was having a lovely time in the northern quarter, in the sunshine, waiting to go to lunch, when I made the mistake of... Getting involved in some Bernardo things on Twitter and like for weeks everyone has been like Bernardo news, Bernardo news and as far as I can tell there hasn't been any Bernardo news and you know I just said on Tuesday oh you know still Bernardo still unlikely to leave as far as I know and it blew up slightly and it kind of seemed like there was something to be done because there was a bit more from the Barcelona end. And even though, you know, it's one of those stories that you don't want to write and pretty much every every Manchester reporter has known it and has probably written it at some stage in the summer. But it's like, yeah, in any normal window, Bernardo Silva wouldn't be for sale, but there's like maybe a 1% chance. Um, and Barcelona keep talking like they're going to sign him because that's what they do and that's what they're doing. So, yeah, it sort of, Tuesday became, I suppose, the ideal time to write the state of play with everyone getting a bit antsy after Guardiola's press conference answer on Friday um, and the sort of continued silence from the club because sometimes the club come out and say, look, this isn't happening or this is happening. You know, like Nathan Acker, he's going, if we get 50 million and a replacement, and sometimes it's like a stance and sometimes it's common sense. And Bernardo was kind of more common sense for a long time, but kind of on Tuesday it sort of became a stance partly by accident. You mentioned Pep's answer on Friday. Let's have a quick listen to what he said. Of course I would love to Bernardo could continue here. Of course, this is a special player for all of us in the locker room for me. But I don't know what is going to happen, so... Honestly, I, I don't know. So, what happened is going to happen, and and if he stays, is is perfect. And if the end has to leave is because football is like this, and the clubs have an agreement, the players have a desires, and I would not be a person to put and stop the desire for the people. So that was Guardiola speaking ahead of West Ham. Um, what do you make of what he said there? Could it could it still be on, Simon? Yeah, I mean Pep's answer kind of added to the confusion, I suppose, or the doubts, because certainly he would be, you know, well within his usual self to say, I'm not talking about the transfer window, I'm not talking about players. But he kind of gave this long, protracted answer about, oh, I won't deny players their dreams if they want to go, they want to move for football reasons, and they can do it. And, 
that kind of opened up the idea that that Bernardo could leave for Barcelona when no one really had been saying he could from the city end. It had always been kind of ignore whatever was going on in Barcelona and all that talk. So Guardiola kind of gave the reports a bit more legitimacy. And he, of course, then rode back when it was put to him that, oh, well, that answer sounds like you think he might be off. And so, oh, no, 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 it's just common sense. It's just, you know, the usual if a player wants to leave and come back with an offer. But it did feel like you know, something could happen. And and I asked him kind of, you know, you've got a really small squad. It's a smaller squad than ever. You've still not bought a left back. Could you afford to let Bernardo go without a replacement? And he kind of paused for a long time and then said, well, hopefully Bernardo doesn't leave, so it's fine. And, you know, that again doesn't really inspire confidence. Um, and the longer the silence has been at the club, the more fans have kind of wondered wait, could this possibly actually be on? And, you know, I can understand why the club wouldn't come out and say, no, he's not for sale, because, yeah, if he really wants to leave, and if you can't say that Barcelona can't come in with a stupid offer, because they've been stupid all summer with stupid offers. So, you know, you, you can't rule it out. Um, and also, there are the Barcelona links among the hierarchy. And, you know, Guardiola, for instance, hit the roof when Bayern Munich talked up buying Leroy Sane. When Barcelona talks up Ferran Torres, mm, no problem. Uh, so, you know, Barcelona are treated differently by Man City than any other club. Despite that, I still think it's unlikely that he leaves because it would need City to find a replacement. It would need a huge sum from Barcelona, more money than they've paid for any player this summer and they've spent a lot of money and then they'd have to register him as well. We remain where we were at the start of the window, I think, that Barcelona might want to sign Bernardo Silva and he could want to leave. But even if that's the case, a lot of things have to happen kind of against the grain for it to be true. So, yeah, it might not be the answer people want. It's a bit messy. It's not great to talk about because it's so complicated. But there there we are, um, the, the sort of wonderful intricacies of the transfer market. <laughs> You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast, facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That was the Manchester Evening News Chief City Correspondent, Simon Bykowski. Um Chris, what, what do you make of all of this with uh, with Bernardo? Uh, like, are you nervous about a potential Bernardo sale before the end of August? Well, I kind of was. And the more you find out about Barcelona, the more you think, like, has something been spiked in the, in the water there? I mean, what what are they doing? They're trying to they're trying to sell a player for whom they can't afford to pay months, if not years, of wages. They owe him like you know millions of euros, and they're trying to sell him to finance another player that they obviously can't afford. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. But the fact that they have been doing it, they've been buying all these players. I mean, have they registered any of them yet? The fact that they've bought players that they can't afford makes you think, well, maybe they can buy this player that they can't afford. And then you find out that essentially no real noise has been, there's been no, you know, no chat about it really officially between the two clubs. It's just Barcelona making weird posturing noise in the, in the press. I mean, I'm, I'm 80% confident that, that he won't go. He's not come out and said he wants to go. There's no transfer request been put in. There's no um, proper bid been put in. Should we really be worried? I would suggest probably not. But then there's that little, they are 
a bit, you know, erratic. They're a bit unpredictable. They might, they might just do something that completely blows out of the water, and then who knows? But no, I don't, I'm moving on the side of uh, confidence that he'll stay. And we get this every year, don't we? It's just a weirder version of it. Yeah, I mean, Adam, the, the the thing that worries me is like I, uh, there is, uh, we know that Bernardo is uh, is interested in a move there. We know that uh, City do this thing where they won't stand in players' way if they want to leave. Um, what worries me is that as much as Chris says, as Barcelona have no money and they can't afford to pay people, they have still been spending stupid money this summer. They could just come in with a stupid offer anyway. And if City, it, like if they have, if they are able, to, City are able to get that money out of them. They're not going to stand in Bernardo's way. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried about that. I'm going to be a biased, blue-tinted, glasses City fan here and wonder why he'd want to go. Now, I know he's not a City fan, so I won't see it from that perspective, but he plays a part in every single game. We're a, we're a club that consistently gets to at least the semi-finals of every competition that we're in. We're challenging for trophies on the top table every year. We've got a top manager, top infrastructure, top facilities. And can can you not just wait a couple of years for the nice weather? I mean, the weather's coming here year on year, so maybe uh, we'll have a beach soon. So we might be able to attract players like him for a longer time. I think it's disappointing that he wants to go, but we've got a track record of not standing in players' ways. Look at Jesus, look at Sterling, look at Sane. When we, we've got that, that mentality of if you get an offer, if you can bring us an offer that we think is acceptable, we'll let you go. So I think there's a danger of him being allowed to go if it gets to that stage. I know Simon alluded to a lot of moving parts being needed to make this deal happen. I would be concerned that would be a bit light if he left. And I think the longer the window is going on, it limits our time to get someone in. And are we ever going to get somebody in that's going to cover the miles that he does, that yeah. does the work rate that he does, that gets us like he does? That's my concern. But I think if, if the cogs do line up, I think he'll be allowed to go and there'll be no ill will either yeah. side because I also think if he does stay he'll be professional to the end and we won't have a we won't have a disgruntled player on our hands either way yeah I mean the other the other problem with all of this Chris is he he might himself be looking at Barcelona going well you know if they don't get me now they're, they're never mm-hmm. going to be able to get me because of the situation that they're in well yeah and he also is probably looking at Barcelona thinking they've signed one two three four five players that they're struggling to even register one of the players they're trying to sell to finance Possibly my transfer is owed X amount of euros in wages. Do I really want to go there? Yeah, I mean, true. There's a lot of rumours that it's not necessarily him that wants to go to this beautiful cosmopolitan uh, sun-soaked city. It's his, uh, his missus. I mean, whether he's, uh, I'm not saying Bernardo's under the thumb, or, <laughs> or that it's wrong to um, you know follow your your partners lead if they want to go to live in a different city sometimes it's nice to do it but you know all of the all of these things factored in still kind of weigh on our favor i would say uh, it's, it's just very very weird i mean at the same time I, I'm, I'm still kind of back even though we are lighting a couple of positions i still kind of back our uh the fundamentals of our transfer policy in not standing in the way of people who want to leave and also not paying over the odds for, for replacements. I mean, yeah. you've, got to, you've got to set your stall out and if you stick to it, then everyone knows where they are and it's, it's fair enough. Yeah. Uh, right, so let's let, let's look at some uh, lighter things for this part of the show because by scoring both of City's goals, Erling Haaland introduced himself to the Premier League on the pitch in some style in Sunday's 2-0 win at West Ham. However, he also made headlines off the pitch by not minding his P's and Q's in his post-match interview with Jeff Shreves. It's given me the excuse to reflect on sometimes when City players and managers have been a bit potty-mouthed. 
When Erling Haaland's interview was played out on Sky Sports on Sunday afternoon, it had been swiftly edited and his slips of the tongue were bleeped out. But since that same interview went out live in other countries, there was a version of it in all of its glory. Could be more. You think he should have walked away with a hat-trick? Yeah, I could. Uh, if you saw the Gundo right before I went off, uh, I should have been there. So, uh, a bit shit, but that's how it is. Steady with the language. Oh, sorry, shit is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> not good language in this country. I can understand you're excited at this point. That's not the first and it won't be the last time a City player has misspoken after a big game or big moment. Micah Richards was on the panel for Sky covering the game on Sunday and the rest of the team there gave him a little light ribbing because of something that happened when he was 17. In only his fourth senior appearance and only his second ever start in professional football, he scored a dramatic equaliser at Aston Villa. There was only 12 seconds left on the clock when the ball crossed the line and it kept City in the FA Cup. He then spoke live on BBC One to Garth Crooks to an audience of millions. Oh, it was just great to be out there. Fucking, I still... I just can't believe it. One minute was 1-0 down and then last minute I got the goal, so not, not much more I can ask for, really. Well, you're a young lad and uh, we can understand your excitement, but uh, this is going up to a national audience, so be careful what you say. <laughs> Richards would become a repeat offender in 2011 when he spoke to ITV straight after City won the FA Cup final against Stoke. Words can't describe it, you know. We've worked hard all season and we've won it. I just can't believe it. I'm just, you know, like, look at the fans. Fuck you. They've been there since day one. I just... ITV had an absolute treat that afternoon too. Moments after Richard had dropped the F-bomb live on TV, man of the match Mario Balotelli did this. Was that your best game you've ever played for Manchester City? I say that I played all my season. Was shit, can I say that? My season wasn't good. I played not very good. Today, maybe I play more for the team. It would, of course, have to come with the usual swift apology. Here's the host, Adrian Childs. In answer to Mario's question, no, you can't use language like that. Uh, our apologies if you're offended by that. I know there's a lot of kids watching, but emotions are running uh, very high. Balotelli was the cause of an outburst by manager Roberto Mancini a few years later, too. The striker had been underperforming in the 2012-13 season, and as the January transfer window neared its end, he was being linked heavily with a move away from City. Mancini, though, was tired of answering about the forward in every single press conference. He, along with many other journalists in the Carrington press room, reacted badly to this first question. Um, can we get the whole it's hard to hear, but that's Mancini with the F word in the middle of all that hullabaloo. The Italian was no stranger to foul language in his media conferences, though sadly no examples still exist online, at least ones that haven't been bleeped. But if you've got a spare moment after today's podcast, then have a little search on YouTube for Mancini's X-rated best bits. It's well worth it. The current manager, Pep Guardiola, has formed for this too. Here he is reacting to a question in a post-match press conference in September 2016, about a month after he joined the club. You're always seeking perfection. Are you? Is your target to win every competition because you've got the Capital One Cup coming up? Do you want to win all four competitions you can? I know it's difficult, but is that the aim? What the fuck? So Manchester City arrived once in, in their lives in the semi-final Champions League. So when the people believe I'm going to win the championship because I am a real good coach. 
Uh, I don't think so, guys. So m- my happiness is not depends on going to win the, ch- the, the all the titles or not. Pep also let out some naughty words when he got his languages mixed up. In 2017, the convention was that he would answer questions in Spanish at the end of his press conferences, and then they would be translated for the English-speaking media. After City beat Huddersfield 2-1, though, he accidentally answered a Spanish question in English. And in that moment, we have to know we are able to do that. We are able to turn uh, the situation... And and that's why that's why today I'm so happy for that. Oh fuck! <laughs> well, that's true. That's why. It was intentional. Then there was the time after beating Burnley in 2019 that he forgot which club he was managing. I think he adjusts and he's sweet perfect for this league, honestly. And I think Bayern Munich. I buy Munich. Man City bought uh, Bayern Munich. What the fuck? <laughs> Man City, Man, I, I don't know what, what I thought. I think Man City bought, uh, bought uh, an incredible player for the next years. So, as you can hear, it happens to the best, and Erling Haaland is in very good company. City's fans will be happy if he's finding the net week after week, but there'll be something a little extra special if he's keeping us entertained with his post-match antics as well. Hello, this is Jason Manford, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That was a look at some of the times that City players have sworn on the telly. Now let's have a look at the game with Bournemouth this weekend. Um, I mean, Chris, the first things first, how much are you looking forward to seeing the new look city at the Etihad and in front of a city crowd? It's because, I mean, it, it is a new look city, isn't it? They've, they've, there's been that many changes this summer that it's uh, it's the first time in a while there's been a bit of upheaval. No, definitely really excited. I mean, it's always exciting, isn't it? Um, first game back, um, unless you were at, uh, at Wembley, uh, at Leicester. But yeah, always, always brimming with uh, anticipation for that. Um, just that new season feel in it, new kit, should be bright sunshine. Yeah, bring it on. Yeah. Adam, it's uh, it's Haaland, the one we all, we're all waiting to see, isn't it? That's, I mean, the, the truth of the matter is there's, uh, there's been a few changes. There's a few nice players that have come in and we're all excited to see, but we all want to see Erling Haaland bag a goal, don't we? Yeah, he's the superstar draw. One of my friends listed his um, spare ticket online. It went within a second, so that's not usually the case. Um, so, yeah, real star attraction. I've been looking, counting down the days ever since he signed, to be honest, to see him in the flesh. And um, the sun will be shining. We usually play well in a sunlit Etihad, so I'm optimistic for a great start and hopefully Haaland can bag a few and uh, send the home fans home happy. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you realise this, Adam, but uh, I mean, out of everybody here, you're the one that's most likely to. Uh, one <laughs> goal from Haaland will equal his dad's record at City. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. He'll be on three along with Alfie yeah. in about 40 games less, uh, fewer to do it. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I've already got my eye on that one and you've yeah. preempted a tweet there. <laughs> yeah, we we want to be there to see it, don't we? Um, Chris, do you reckon Guardiola might do the fullbacks thing again if uh, if Bournemouth are sitting deep, or do you reckon he's he's Would got that many? Uh, well, uh, that's that's a, that's a question, isn't it? Um, no, actually, like bring him inside, try and overload the middle, or is he like is he already playing four D chess and thinking of of a hundred other different ways that he could beat Bournemouth? Do you reckon? Um, probably both. <clears throat> I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't do that, just because he did do it in the last game, and um, the manager might be thinking to set up like that. So, you know, it's he's always a few moves ahead of himself, yeah. never mind the opposition manager. 
yeah, it's worked once already as well. So that's the that's the thing. It, it kind of just by by. I guess allowing City a bit more space out wide, and with Haaland in the middle now, you want players like Foden and Grealish to be um, to be wide and, and getting the ball in those areas to create chances, don't you? You do, yeah. And I, I think I thought Foden was excellent. I thought Grealish was really good as well. I was genuinely surprised, although probably should be wiser than that. I expect I was surprised by the uh, negative press that he seemed to get. I, was, I I think we're watching a different Grealish to everybody else, you know, because so I thought I thought he was good as well, yeah. It's it's like people are really mentally um, weighed down more than he is by this one hundred million price tag. It's like, well, he costs one hundred million pounds. So, what do you mean he's not scored a hatch? What do you mean every time he gets the ball, he isn't beating three men and sliding it away or creating an assist? It's like he's he's playing really well. He's he's doing what's asked of him for the team and more. He's doing it with a plum. He's doing it with increasing aggression, increasing increasing frequency in terms of that aggression and his application. He's gelling with the team better and better all the time. I don't think he had that bad a season. Last season, I was like, well, I suppose he's not a flop because you're allowed a terrible first season. It's like, are you, are we like, I mean, are we watching, like you say, are we watching the same game, the same <laughs> yeah. player? It's just, it's this 100 million pound. It's just an absolute millstone, um, but not around his neck. It's like, just weighing the judgment down of all who seem to come and they're trying to set him who yeah. aren't watching it through our lenses. Yeah. Um, Adam, the prospect though of a, I mean, it's, it is hard sometimes to build up the jeopardy with when, you know, City's budget compared to Bournemouth's budget is that they're not even comparable in, in that sense. So like City go into this expecting to win the game. Um, but I'm going to say, I never like a newly promoted side in like the first couple of games. There's always something about them that makes them a bit tricky. And I think it's because they're coming off. I mean, first off, they're coming off the promotion with the momentum there, but they won last week as well. So that that kind of puts a little bit more momentum into the in, into the wheel, doesn't it? Yeah, that that was my first thought when I saw that they'd beaten Villa and comfortably as well. He, there's always an element of giddiness with new new teams, especially when they come up. And there's also there's always one, usually one like a surprise package from the from the three promoted sides, and you're hoping you're not facing one. Of them. I think we played Cardiff early away at their place, and they beat us three two, and it, that always stings. Uh, the newly promoted side that can kind of lay their mark down by taking a, a big scalp. Brentford did it last season against Arsenal, so you are always. Lads, uh, lads, 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 lads. Cool. But Bournemouth no, no. have never, yeah. never beaten City in yeah. their entire history. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah we <laughs> played 17, won 15, drawn two, lost none. I thought so, it was actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've um, scored 2.4 goals per game against them as well, so there's certainly goals in there to be had. Um, we'll, we'll be missing Sterling this time. He got nine in 10 appearances against Bournemouth, so he was he knew where the net was against them. So hopefully a Haaland can just pick up that mantle and run with it. But we shouldn't be, shouldn't be alarmed. There's always something in the back of your mind, newly promoted team who want to make a name for themselves. But that's famous last words, but I can't see them doing it at our place on Saturday. Yeah. Chris, who do, who do you want to see in the team? I mean, we talked about how good Foden and Grealish were last week, but I mean, Mares had a good year last season. Alvarez looks exciting. They, they, those two those two could come in. Oh, I'd love to see Alvarez. I've said it many times, uh, obviously. And I'm not just trying to be the, uh, I think you'll find George was the coolest people. <laughs> Alvarez, I'm, I'm genuinely more excited about Alvarez because you kind of know what you're getting with uh, Haaland. He is a superstar mutant, and he's going <laughs> to bang him in. 
he's going to make you feel sorry for the turf with the predator <laughs> that he eats it up. But Alvarez is <laughs> a different prospect, but I'm just really, really excited to watch how he adapts to the Premier League because he's so like aggressive in his press. He's so natural a finisher, even more natural a finisher, I would say, than than Harland simply because he's got normal length limbs, perhaps. It's just like, <laughs> more natural fluidity to his to his game. Very Aguero-esque as well. So there's mm. a bit of, um, you know, Argentinian striker nostalgia peaking uh, every yeah. time I see him. I'd love to see Alvarez get more than 20 minutes. Um, I mean, imagine, imagine starting with Harland and Alvarez. Pep might do that. I mean, you know, he's, uh, he's a... A lovely genius nutcase, he might just do that. Yeah. The bottom of defence will be like, oh my God, I feel a bit ill actually. I might have to not play this game. <laughs> yeah, might yeah, have a tight hamstring this week. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just, just flared up. Yeah, funny that. Since the team sheet came out, who, yeah, who, who yeah, saw it? Yeah. Um, Adam, how about the defence though? Would you like to see uh, Stones back in? Um, because I thought Ake and, and Diaz, as good as as good as they are as individuals, I'm never convinced by them as a partnership. Yeah, you'd you'd always want. Stones in there for for me, but I think it's going to be hard for Stones or Laporte to come back into the side when uh, Ake and Diaz aren't technically putting a foot wrong. I think the number of games that we've got, especially before Christmas, because it's condensed ahead of the World Cup, I think that will aid Laporte and Stones getting back into the side and fringe players like Palmer and um, potentially Delap or Wilson Esbrand because of the amount of games we've got. But I don't think it'll be this weekend. I think he'll stick with what he's got and kind of... Um, he might. He'll certainly. I think he'll certainly start with uh, Ake and Diaz, and then maybe bring Stones on in the second half. I'd like him to play Wilson Esbrand, and I think, with all due respect, a lesser opposition would be a good place to see how Esbrand can play at left back in a in a back four. Um, but the, you you alluded to this might be a game where he wants to pack the midfield with wing backs. I don't think Esbrand is that a type of wing back to do that. So yeah. I think Ake will start. And I wouldn't have any complaints, even though I'm a massive John Stone super fan and want him to play every game. I think they're going to have to do a bit more to get the place back because Ake and Diaz touch wood aren't putting a foot wrong. Yeah, Phillips, Chris. I mean, Phillips, yeah. Phillips hasn't been involved. That's true, and um, you know he didn't. I'm sure he didn't come to to warm the bench. Um, and I, yeah, I not in a World Cup year as well. Well, no, and I think we will see plenty of him, uh, and I'd, I'd like to see plenty of him. I think you raise a good point. Um, with Esperandad, so we need we need to we need to see him. He needs to be yep. tested. Yeah. Um, whether this is the right game, as you say, remains to be seen. But he was really he was really confident, money in those those preseason games. He just looked. He didn't look out of his depth. He didn't look like anywhere near um, a nervous prospect. The way you think, I, I, you just know this guy's not. Yeah. It was the opposite <laughs> feeling. Yeah. Of Correct. Yeah, I'd really like to um, see him tested more appropriately. Uh, but and as you say, you know, not throwing in against say Liverpool, but this this might well be the perfect um, kind of litmus for him. Yeah. Right. Well, we were a lot quicker off the mark on the charity bet this season. First league game, first win. Laura Wolf continued the tradition of debutants getting their first score prediction correct with her 2-0 forecast for last Sunday. She kicked us off with 60 quid for the Man City fans food bank supports. They're helping people living in food poverty in Manchester by collecting donations of food and money for Manchester Central Food Bank. Here's Nick from the group explaining more about what they do and where they'll be. Manchester City fans food bank support will be back at the usual place at the end of Sir Howard Bernstein Way, opposite the Big Asda, underneath the Nexon Tire Bridge, I think it's called, collecting food donations and cash uh, for Manchester Central Food Bank, 
who operate are the biggest food bank operating within Manchester. Last season, City fans were absolutely incredible, and even some visiting supporters. We raised over two and a, I think around two and a half tons of food and a few thousand pounds in cash donations, which was incredible and has supported so many struggling Mancunians at, at times like these. And we know that this season it's going to be even tougher given the cost of living crisis and the way that things are going in the country at the moment, which is why it means so much to see that continued support. We'll be there every single weekend home game, no matter what cup competition and we're going to try and do the women's games again this season too. So uh, we look forward to hopefully seeing a few of us. Just, even if you don't make a donation, just come over and have a chat. We'd love that. That was Nick from the Man City Fans Food Bank Supports. We're helping them with the charity bet again this season. Um, let's have your predictions for uh, for the Bournemouth game. Uh, Adam, what are you having? 4-0. 4-0 City is 6-1 uh, and 60 quid if you're right. I'm going 3-1 City, um, which is 14-1 to and £140 if I'm right. Chris, what are you having? I'm going to go for five goals to City and one generous away goal to the Cherries. 5-1. Five, 5-1 one. Five, one is 28-1 to one and £280 if you're right. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. Now then, City opened the season in their third choice kit, a design that has been divisive amongst the fan base, and that's probably putting it nicely. Um, it got us thinking about some of the worst kit designs that City have had in the years gone by. So I've been having a chat with Kieran Murray and first, Dom Farrell about the good, the bad and the ugly. For a kit that is like predominantly day glow, when they went in the shadows they were actually really hard to see because <laughs> of like the... <laughs> the black. So, so that, I think that, that's that's a hell of a feat, like sort of dress up the team as sort of, you know lollipop men or something and they you actually can't see him after the game it's, <laughs> it's not a great kit, I think maybe the only argument for it is it's basically a Borussia Dortmund kit so it's making Harlem feel at home and well, that, yeah. um, you know that, that ticking that box on Sunday, isn't it? But um, yeah, I, I don't know if I, what I found more disorientating, the kit or Cancelo wearing seven at left back, which is just <laughs> <laughs> tricky. Kieran, I, I described that new kit this season as it's, it's got a very good look of I've just been run over by a tractor in a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very true. I like it. Um, I don't know what's come over me, but I think Puma have pulled off three decent cute kits. Uh, for the first time since we've since we've had them, I really really like it. Um, I don't know if it just it reminds me of a Celtic kid in the nineties, so I've got a little bit of that sort of nostalgia. Um, and as Dom sort of picked up, it does have the uh, the welcoming shoes of a, a Dortmund top that will uh, make Alan feel at home. But yeah, no, I don't think it's one of the worst. I think we've had some atrocities, and um, this doesn't rank as one of them for me. It reminds me of, um, do you remember Ghost Green in Pellegrini's final season? That uh, oh. that, that that third kit, that was definitely not green, but was branded as, as Ghost Green. And I don't know yeah. why. Like, I, don't know, I don't know the names of any other official colours since Laser Blue, and yet Ghost Green still sticks in my head. What's this one? Is, is this one Parisian Fizz or something? <laughs> it's got a mad name. What? <laughs> it's inspired by the the Manchester worker bee, but like that's not the colour bees are, is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like if a bee if a bee turned up at your house looking like that, you go, this guy's not well. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's come straight from the, the it's come straight from the nuclear power plant on the Simpsons yeah. or something. Maybe it's like mixed. I know the city have done this in the past of like trying to get Manchester heritage, but maybe this is like clash between a bee who spent the night at the hacienda. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, like. Fizzy light and Parisian night colour right. palette apparently. 
Is, is and I caught the Parisian <laughs> That's that's just nonsense. Well, while we're on this season's kits, uh, Kieran, the away. You said you'd like all three of them. The away kit, the yeah. stripe, the stripes. They need to be vertical. They can't be. Diagonal. Well, that's true. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, that is true. And, I mean, and just, having seen it in the flesh as well, having seen them play in it in preseason, like there's a big black square on the back of it that just looks wrong. Yeah, but with with the number there, it doesn't look too bad. But if somebody's going to own a replica of it without the number, yeah, that big black square is a little bit unnerving. Uh, I'm not quite sure what they're thinking there. Yeah, like if you're thinking back to the classic Neil Young red and black stripes or even 11-12 um, away red and black stripes, it was really nice having them uh, vertical. I don't know why they've gone diagonal, but um, it's grown on me a little bit from the first time I saw it when I was just scratching my head going, why didn't they just do vertical the way... Um, the way you know it should have been in the old days, but um, yeah, no, I think it's uh, it just looks well, do you know. And the home kit this season with the maroon trim is lovely as well. I just I like um, I like traditional, but then sometimes I like um, a little sort of tribute to traditional, um, and you know, going with the diagonals a little bit of a an off piste take on that. So yeah, I'm okay with that. I really like it, and I I, suppose, I see your point with the diagonal stripes, but I still think it looks looks good and. Is that not also a reference to like City's history of sashed kits as well? Like sort of, I, I know there was that that brilliant run of kits, the sort of I think two thousand nine ten, like the white kit with the red and black sash. But oh yeah, there was a few kits in the nineteen seventies where they had like um, sort of kits with various different sashes on. So maybe a nod towards that. But yeah, I, I think it looks top. Um, I think the, the gap on the back. There's a load of clubs that do that with the striped shirts. It's like a really snide way to get you to. Stump of extra cash for numbers. I, I remember a Newcastle oh. one that had like a massive shield on it. Um, I thought in the late nineties or something, and that looked ridiculous without a number on. Yeah, hmm. yeah, none of that. It's, it reminds in the same way. It reminds me of the uh, of the Wembley shirt in that sense. Which I actually come to think of it, the ninety nine Wembley kit. Um, are we having that as a good kit, or is it only is is it only a good kit because they won that game? If if they'd not won that game, would we rem- would we remember that kit differently? Yeah, it's become icon- iconic for the playoff final as opposed to actually thinking it was good kit at the time yeah um but i think i think sunday's kit will be remembered fondly because Haaland has scored his premier league uh, debut goals in it so um i think we'll kind of look back maybe as that has sort of got an iconic um resonance just the way the 99 kit does well yeah. on on a much on a much different kind of level obviously <laughs> So Dom, then worst worst kits that City have had. Come on, uh, list li- list your uh, kind of absolute horror shows. So I'm not going to be bored and go for the Man City PE kit from last year because obviously everyone hates that. That was terrible. Mm. Um, Kira mentioned like tradition. Um, maybe City are becoming the team of you know various day glow kits because there's been there's been a few that have looked like rocket lolly and whatnot over the last few seasons that have been terrible. Um, I think. And maybe this kit doesn't get helped by the fact that he didn't the year Liverpool won the league in 1920. Yeah. The one that's sort of yellow and pinky orange with like a, a black colour on it, that was bad. Tequila uh, Sunrise. Were, yeah. Yeah, that wasn't great. I think they were wearing, weren't they wearing that at Stamford Bridge on the night that Liverpool actually won the league? So yeah. it, it's, it's, it's also the kit you hand the title over in. So that's maybe important. That, that was Drek. Um then going way back around an era that I think is fairly well remembered for kits, but the 96-97 away kit, the last year of Umbro, that was like that. Where the, and usually a City away kit with a maroon in is a big plus, 
But it was that one that looked like it was like a white shirt that someone had spilt red wine all over. <laughs> the maroon that bar was... with brother in the in the maroon bar. Yeah, so no, that's brother... a beauty. That's a beauty. I'm sorry. No, it's <laughs> yeah, not for me. It, it's just a bit of a mess. Um, and also around that time, it was. See, did you have kits around that time that? Um... Oh no, sorry, the maroon bar one. That's I think that's the cap. That's the first year of Kappa. That's an amazing kit. Yeah, it's the it, the kit from. It's the last Umbro away kit. Uh, oh, it's, sorry. It's the it's the yeah. It's the it's the maroon. It's the, kind the of maroon, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that's that's crap. But the um, actually the one you mentioned with the maroon bar, that's another sort of gripe about city away kits I used to have. That they might be returning now with Edison's really nice but blue goalkeeping kit. I mean, how often are you going to get to wear that? <laughs> that maroon yeah. bar one. That was in when City were in a division with a lot of teams that wore blue and white stripes uh, or like halves if you're Blackburn and Sheffield Wednesday and things like that and I think they wore it they got to wear it about twice it just clashed with everything and <laughs> that that I believe led to the sort of bruised banana third kit which I kind of liked but that was a bit of a polarizing opinion one as well wasn't yeah, it? yeah I like that one I'm not I'm not going to hear a bad word against that one but it was <laughs> it, it, it was it was a nice kind of it, it, it was black and yellow bars but I like I like a yellow I like a yellow kit Kieran I can't help it yeah um so so uh Sunday's kit then have you changed your mind or <laughs> no it's one of, it's it's not quite the right yellow for me. Yeah, I, when, yeah, when I say yeah, yellow, no. I'm thinking like the you know like the third shirt in uh like two thousand and five, six, seven, that sort of era where uh, I can I can always picture like Vassell and, and Barton in it. Um the the kind of Thomas Cook yellow with the black uh side. Yeah. That yeah. Loved that yeah. kit. They no, tried to they tried lovely, to reproduce yeah. it in orange and it looked crap. I know, yeah, the orange one just never paid off at all, did it? Yeah, um, it proper reminds me of, yeah, like Richard Dunn and Sunji High kind of era. Um, I don't have fond memories of that at all. Uh, and I had the whole Mandy Away kit that season. It was a red and black. Um, I've still got it in long sleeve, actually, we're at the gym. But um, no, the orange one was not for me that year. It was too much. Um, and yeah, I suppose I, we've had sort of uh, dabbles with, orange recently um orange and purple kind of kits uh and they have not gone down well at all with me it reminds me of cheryl cole's sort of ill-fated attempt to uh, crack america do you remember that no what was this <laughs> um so, uh, so when simon Carl launched the x factor in america he brought cheryl cole with him thinking that you know she would be sort of british sweetheart and the yanks would really take to her but uh, she turned up wearing an orange top and purple trousers and like big massive hair <laughs> and uh, nobody, everybody just thought she looked atrocious and um, people put it down to one of the reasons why she like didn't make it in America was that she was wearing orange and purple um, when she got there. So when City launched these kits and there's been two in recent times um, and orange and purple one, do you remember what I'm talking about? The, I, I can think of the sash one uh, that I always think of Mares in that one. Yeah, so do I. Yeah, but an orange sash for somebody from uh, Northern Ireland has different connotations. So, <laughs> so I, I was a little bit wary of that kit as well. Sixteen uh, seventeen was it was kind of orange with like um, purple sort of down the bottom, a little bit kind of oh, like the tequila, the tequila sunrise one, but with orange and purple and kind of like stripes coming up. No, I really, really didn't like that at all. They got yeah. bat- they got battered at Barcelona in that one, didn't they? Um, yes, same idea as the Tequila Sunrise one, and also shit. Um, yeah, <laughs> there was also there was, there was that really good three three draw at Celtic as well, where I think City led three, led all were behind three times. It was 
remember it really well. It was um, yeah, yeah, it was a one nil, one one two one two two game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mega atmosphere at Celtic Park. That they were wearing that that night as well. Yeah, um, yeah, not good. Can I throw in a suggestion for another terrible kit? Uh, we're going back to uh, the year that City were relegated from the Premier League under Joe Royal. Uh, the away kit, the grey, uh, with black, very thin black stripes down. And then yeah. the Spirit of 99 barcode, uh, like little drawings underneath IDOS. It, uh, that was not good. I remember I remember um, two things in that kit. Sean Wright Phillips made uh, or played really well against West Ham, but City got battered 4-1. And his name was so big on the back of his shirt, it, <laughs> it, it had to start on his sleeves. Because uh, obviously <laughs> yeah. his, his shirt was tiny. Um, and I remember Paolo Wanchup scoring a back heel half volley against Tim Flowers away at Leicester in that kit. But other than that, there's no good. They got relegated in that kit, so it's not. Mm. A, it doesn't remind me of uh, of good things. Dom, you reacted as if to say that was a good kit. Um, I don't know. So, so I, I think it's more the time it was out, and I was sort of, I would have been what fourteen, fifteen. I kind of thought it was quite cool, but yeah, it's objectively not a good kit. You mentioned the Wanchup back heel. That same, and you think of there's all these Twitter threads always do well of like who do you think of in this kit, and everyone interacts on it loads. That kit reminds me of um, Erling's dad, Alfie Harland, because in that same Leicester game, in injury time, there was like a offside given or something, and he thought it was full time, and he went over to the away end at Filbert Street and like chucked his shirt in the crowd, uh, yeah, <laughs> and then he had to go and get it back. Um, <laughs> Back so, when City, uh, City couldn't just run on with another kit, they didn't have the money to keep producing kits. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it probably isn't a great um, recommendation for the kit that the iconic moment I've thought of with it is when someone's taken it off. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because we, we talked about is the Wembley 99 kit a good kit or a bad kit? And I, I think it is a good kit. But what I would say is it did set in motion this thing of, say, that, that, that was only 20 odd years ago. The amount of time City have put a day glow element into away kits since. And none of them have been as good as the Wembley one. <laughs> they've all they've all been varying levels of not brilliant. Even that, I would agree, the horrific um, Lecoq orange kit, the third kit. If I'm, I'm sure I'm right in saying this. I think the shorts had like fluorescent yellow um, string in them. So there was a little bit of even even on that sort of orange mess. There was a little bit of the oh, it's City. They have glow in the dark yellow. That's their thing now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were telling me, Dom, that um, uh, was it. Nader Manua told you that that kit didn't fit the players as well. Yeah. Um, well, I was chatting to Nader about as we all have around that time of the takeover and how things were changing. And in the middle of sort of citing improvements to the changing the the, uh, the training ground, signing people like Tevez, Rubinho, he mentioned that he, he sort of made a point of going. And we went from Lecoq's four teeth kits that didn't even fit everyone properly to these really small Umbro ones. And it like, I love the fact that that actually occurs to players that this kit is a horrible garment. And then it's like, <laughs> yeah, this is good. But um, it, it, And after he said that, so you looked at pictures of players from that time and maybe it's because there were some sort of gangly characters like Joe in the team and whatnot. But if you look at the players in those season kits, it, it might be the last season of sort of the sort of hangover of the 90s of like baggy doesn't really fit anyone properly kits and then I think it's common consensus the year after City's first season with Umbra from the takeover is like the best collection of kits yeah oh yeah every kit in the Umbra era the second Umbra era were just gorgeous weren't they I'm just yeah. Yeah. looking at some of them now and just that was the sash that you were talking about the red and black sash it's just lovely uh, you know do you remember the black away kit with the yellow trims 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that wasn't that the same. That was that, the that worker was thing as well. Yeah. That was the same year, wasn't it? I think. Yeah. The, yeah. The, that's like the the first day at Blackburn and Adebayo scoring. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, just looking at the, one of the Nike efforts uh, from Pellegrini's time, because I, I, I consider Kieran that purple is 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 a traditional City away kit colour. I can think of a, of a good few away kits that have either been purple or burgundy, and yeah. I mean, th- th- there's one that is an absolute beauty that you never see anywhere these days, especially not in the you, you never you never even see them in the kind of conversation of best kits. But I think it was a it was a gorgeous one. The third kit from uh, Kevin Keegan's first Premier League season uh was burgundy with white pinstripes. Oh um, lovely. Yeah. They they won away at uh, West Brom uh, in that kit and it was it was ju- it just beautiful. I loved it. Yeah. Um but then kind of on the flip side you look at Pellegrini's uh, third kit in in 2014-15 it was that horrid purple with yellow kind of day glow yellow again. Day glow, yeah. <laughs> under the uh, <laughs> uh, under the arms. The, the one that I think of Wilfred Bonnie at Swansea in. Uh yeah, I think of James Milner doing like a DJ Stokes yeah. celebration, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, that was that was horrific as well, wasn't it? Um, it's awful. It's, it's uh, is it one of those things where you know the third kits kind of get worn so seldom you don't really like it doesn't really bother you. You just sort of have to put up with it a little bit and kind of like shrug and get on because I I don't remember having any reaction to that the way I do you know now with awful kits. I'm just like oh. I don't like that, but you know it is what it is. We'll not see it too often. But looking at um, so, if you think of last season's third kit atrocity, like we seem to have wor- worn that every other game. <laughs> like it was, yeah, <laughs> it, it was ubiquitous last season. But um, luckily, that kind of purple and glow atrocity uh, doesn't feature that much in my head, other than one or two games. The bony one you're referring to, and um, and that Milner one. Yeah, Dom. I'm going to finish with uh, a terrible home shirt. Well, two two terrible home shirts because I know we said we'd we'd focus mainly on away shirts, but uh, I would like to raise the uh, sixteen seventeen first Guardiola yeah. season home shirt with the dark blue shoulders for some reason, and uh, also the um, the nineteen twenty. I know. I know. Again, it comes with connotations of Liverpool winning the title, but the sponsor should not be purple. Yeah, they're both rubbish, aren't they? Uh, the, the the 1920 home kit is a really good Burnley away kit, but it's not a home <laughs> kit as long. Yeah. Maybe send a job lot of them to Vincent Company to use now. Yeah, um, yeah, and and that, that the first Guardiola season, that's like it's just the Nike factory kit because that that was just after the Euros when every team who had Nike in that, like um, I know England and France had things of that design, and it's like. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm a long way removed now from someone that buys and tries to wear football shirts. But if you're shelling out 60 quid or whatever, and it's just the, you know, the Nike shirt that everyone... It, there should be something a bit different about it. And, and as much as that, they, they've got some stick for some pretty wacky ones. But I think it is fair to say that Puma do at least put a good bit of thought into the kits. I, th- I think that there was that those kits from the pandemic season, which were, I know they weren't to everyone's taste, but like the Mosaic home kit, I like the that. one with like the Castlefield bridges in the away kit, and then the the Paisley pattern. Yeah, I liked all those kits, and I think the reason I liked them was no one else was wearing them. Yeah, do you know what I mean. Whereas th- those night kits are like the other end of that spectrum. If, if I can throw in another crap home kit, um, and again, this might be back to what we said at the start of associating it with what the season was like. The Stuart Pearce ten goals at home season, rubbish team, rubbish kit just not good at all. 
This is the Blue Moon Podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over soon. So then, um, I mean, first things first, Chris, I've got to get your thoughts on uh, this year's kits because uh, that, that third kit, not not for me, I'm afraid. Well, I don't like it. I don't like... Um, I quite like the Wembley 99 kit, but apart from that, you could keep your knee on, to be honest. And there's a weird bit on, you know, just below the number on the back, which looks like something's been... Something offensive has been obfuscated. Uh, <laughs> it just looks like blurred out. Like, it just doesn't fit. Like, yeah, the, the redacted like, kit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the redacted... Redact the whole kit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Adam. Uh, any do any of this kits? The, the, any of this this season's kits do it for you? Yeah, I like. I love the home one. I think it's the best we've had since two thousand and nine, which is my favourite home kit ever. Um, but I like the third one. I didn't like it when I first saw it, and I don't know whether it's because we've had an amazing performance in it. And I think kits can be guilty of association with what performances went in them. I don't like the fact that the bars fade around the side, but I love this this one. I didn't like it at first, so it's definitely a grower for me. But but diagonal stripes on the away kit, mate. Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of that. I thought I was at the very beginning, and then I think I put it in the group, and you all talked me out of liking it. So, like a sheep, I don't like it anymore. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, are, are you having diagonal stripes? Because because to me, it's got to be vertical stripes, surely. Um, I don't know. I'm kind. Of, I quite like it, to be honest. But maybe I've just been like tilting my head when I've been looking at it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, before we finish on this, any any uh, fa- least and best favourite kits from the past, uh, Adam? So, like I say, the 2009 home one was, is my favourite home one. And then my favourite away was last season's white away one with the teal, like, kind of straps on the arm and the, like, multicoloured sponsor. I just loved that. I thought um, you were going to say last season's Man City kit and I was just about to yeah. kick you off immediately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and yeah. um, if awful. we're going worst, I didn't like that... Um, cocktail away one was it some sunset strip or whatever it was called the orange going into the purple fade uh, didn't like that tequila puke yeah tequila sunrise there we go oh, i and like then, i like that one wow well, well, you've made an error there david <laughs> and, and and worst home one was that weird reebok one that had like what i perceived to be like a six-pack pattern on it i don't know if it's meant to be a six-pack pattern on it but that in like 2007 2006-7 it was bizarre yeah, we I had remember. that. Um, was it not? Was it maroon or sort of purpley? I think it was maroon, wasn't it? Like um, an homage to the one of the was it nineteen fifty three FA Cup with the white pinstripes. Yeah, it yeah. was looking a few of them. Yeah, but this one yeah. was, um, it was the first advice uh, sponsor, and instead of just kind of you know having a having it transferred on or or part of the print, it was just embossed on this. Yeah, it was three D, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, this massive panel which faded at an alarmingly swift rate compared to the um, rest of the kit, which didn't fade, and it just leaves you with this big, big chunk on the front here. It's just like yeah. the worst panel since the last job interview I had. It was just horrendous. <laughs> yeah, the the only other one that uh, we didn't mention in that feature that I uh, completely forgot about was the red and black uh, stripes with the mesh sides. Forgot about that one. Didn't like it. I quite back, liked that. That's back the in the nineties. No, before that, back in the 90s. 94, uh, 96. Oh, away. Yeah, I think Paul Walsh in that one. Yeah, you're right, actually. You're right. There was a different uh, black and red thing for that. But my favourite one is going to be either the Kappa away or the Sash, the Umbro Sash, yeah. their third kit, because they're just, you know, beautiful. Gorgeous. Yeah. Right, well, that's the end of this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much to my guests for today's show, Adam Carter. Pleasure as always. And Chris Higginbottom. Thanks for having us. Pleasure to be back. 
If you've enjoyed the show, please give it a rating and a review in all the usual places. And don't forget to tell your city-supporting mates about it as well. You can also back the show on Patreon, and you'll get it without the adverts each week. You also get a bonus podcast each Monday. This week's was a Manchester Derby edition of City Heaven, City Hell with City fan KC and United fan Jay Mottershead. Here's a short clip. We never looked like getting into it. And obviously, you, you know, we didn't really put enough pressure on you as well because... You've got that goal as it stands. You know, I think you were beginning to think, "Hang on a minute, we can win the league title here." And United just didn't have any any answers to that. We just didn't have anything to, you know, we could go out. Okay, someone's going to need to do a bit of magic, or maybe we can get, you know, Rooney on the ball or whatever. I don't think we had a shot on target. It was just, it was so annoying. And like, I think for us to sort of throw the league away like that with just a whimper it was just it was embarrassing city deserved their win we didn't turn up and and it was just it was horrible horrible feeling afterwards because i just thought this is it now city have won the league and yeah. you know the, the worst part of that was the way he did it was was, was, was actually <laughs> gonna make it worse <laughs> if he just won you know the rest of the games whatever was left three nil or whatever it would have been all right but the way he did it made it even worse it must have been like one of the last touches of the first half i think when the company header goes in you just think right well united are going to come out and and you know throw the kitchen sink at us and absolutely nothing like I, I, I can't remember Yaya Tori having an easier second half in a game he was just strolling around the pitch um, and I just remember that was the first time I thought maybe maybe Ferguson is done here and doesn't you know has, has decided he's retiring because it, it, he genuinely set up like he was afraid in that game which you know obviously in however many years he, he never was really. That was a clip of this week's Patreon bonus show. That's available now for everyone who supports the show on any of our tiers. Take a look at patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast for more info or to sign up. I'll be back next week to review the game with Bournemouth, so I will see you then. Take care. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.